She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 24. R-Town. So before we start, I just want to quickly apologize to Nick and to everybody for last week when we talked about soft light. Nick was talking about how Scully was being dismissive and I was pretty dismissive and kind of defensive and I kind of felt like an a-hole when we stopped recording. (laughs) I was like, oh man, I was kind of a dick. I didn't mean to be a dick. I mean, obviously like I love the X-Files. I really love that episode, but like Scully's not real. She doesn't need me to defend her. It's fine. And like, obviously I respect Nick and his opinions and like his read of the show is no less valid than mine or anybody else's. And so like, that doesn't mean that he's wrong in any way. So I just wanted to say, I'm sorry if I was kind of a jerk last episode. Um, I will try. What she's saying is I am never wrong and you should always listen to me. That is what she's technically saying. (laughs) I just want to say like, after we finished recording, I'm like, man, I was kind of a jerk off. You were fine. Yeah. Anyway, so anyhow, I just wanted to kind of get that. I mean, we, we kind of discussed that whole thing in, I think, and we mentioned it last episode too. We, like in Dwayne Barry, the same thing kind of happened. Yeah. Just like I was picking up on like some vibes that maybe are me doing some like transference, but yeah. So. Maybe, but we all bring our own stuff to media, you know, and that doesn't mean that you're, re- it's like when people read books and like you talk to someone who read the same book and they got something way different out of it. And you're like, did we read the same book? But like, you know, people just bring their own stuff to it and they bring their own like assumptions and opinions and like they read things a different way. And that yeah. doesn't mean that your reading is less valid or any more different. It's just different. It's just a different no. view on it. And that's fine. And if we didn't have a different view on the show, this podcast might even be kind of boring. So yeah. <laughs> speaking of which, so the episode that actually, we're, as we're recording this episode that just came out like two days ago was the Kalashari. Yes. And I just like wait till the last minute to edit the episode. So I'm like, it's fresh in my brain aside from the fact that it just came out. The part where the um i can't remember what her name is now at this point but i know her first name is karen so i was like oh man she's a karen oh karen Um, yeah when she goes to the door to talk to maggie about how like i'm here to talk to you and maggie's like no i don't want to talk to you and she's like okay i get that but i'm gonna have to put that in report and it's gonna make things worse for you i'm like dude that is some cop shit oh my god (laughs) oh my god it is It's, you know, it's like when, you know, <laughs> when cops are trying to get you to talk and they'll just say anything and it's like, yeah, maybe that would make it worse. Maybe yeah. it wouldn't. Or how if you, if they like try to arrest you because you're not doing anything wrong and you resist, then they can like charge you with a resisting arrest. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's one of those <laughs> stupid so you're, things. So, I'm, so your actual charge is resisting arrest, but like there's no actual original charge. It's like, that's <laughs> some BS. So. Yeah, oh, it's 100% PS. By the way, if you haven't watched Leverage yet, you would probably like the show Leverage. Oh, okay. The uh, reboot just came out, so there's been eight new episodes. But it's just, it's about people, like, using crime to fight capitalism and greed and evil people, and it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. And if this is too political for you, don't be a dick and leave a negative review on Apple Podcasts <laughs> for us, okay? <laughs> While we're just venting everything, please... I mean, I'm sorry that we have said things about the world we live in while we record and the pandemic and like queer representation, but that's just should have stuck for around me. for me saying Nazis are people last episode. Just saying. So, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> 
we've gotten all that out of the way. In this episode, a man disappears and a giant scorch mark is left behind in a field nearby. Mulder thinks it's connected to Foxfire and alien abductions. But when Scully and Mulder arrive in town, something strange seems to be centered around the chicken plant where the missing man worked. Is it aliens? Or is this small town up to something sinister? Ooh. Again with the left-handed disses. Mm. What? I said again with the left-handed disses. Left-handed disses? Yeah, sinister, because it means like of the left hand. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, I'm left-handed, by the way. Me too. Oh my gosh. So is the devil, apparently. So we're both evil. (laughs) Yeah. We're both the evil mirror twin. Yeah. (laughs) This episode was written by Frank Spotnitz and directed by Rob Bowman. Was filmed in Richmond and Vancouver, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, May 12th, 1995. It had a viewership of 14.5 million in the United States, which is up 1.6 million from last week. Nice. So we open on County Road A7 in Dudley, Arkansas. And there's a car driving down a wooded country road. And it's nighttime, so we see headlights, right? And then it pulls over to the side. And the driver, who we'll learn is George Kearns, he turns off the engine and turns to his passenger, Paula, who is a younger lady, and says, we don't have to be out here, you know. It's not like you're still in high school, which is creepy. Mm. And she's like, she doesn't want anyone to see them. It's a small town. So she gets out and heads out into the trees. And so George, still sitting in the car, he starts kind of like seizing and he's having like some sort of like attack and he pulls out a bottle of pills and like shakes them to his hand and swallows them. And then Paula's like, come on, George. And we see her. She's like all like shaking her hips and, you know. Mm -hmm. So he takes some deep breaths and he gets out of the car and he follows her through the woods and he's like, what made you change your mind? And she says, well, you're pretty persistent. And George is carrying a blanket and he gestures to a clearing and he like, you know, catches up to her and is like, why not right here? And she says, no, you have to catch me first. And she runs off. So George is like, oh, I got to chase you. And so then he like calls after her, but then he eventually follows. So George is having a little bit of trouble getting like through the brush and trees. I mean, honestly, it's dark, right? So yeah, you know, it's dark forest. Yeah. And he calls out for Paula because he's lost track of her. And then he heads it in one direction and he trips over this log. And then he sees a bunch of people like coming towards him, like holding lanterns, like surrounding him. They're like holding lanterns. Hmm, it might be the uh, gender bender people. Who knows? They're kind of creepy. Got those mm. creepy orange lanterns. Although True. this is Arkansas, the but they did. We know they left, right? They could be in Arkansas. We don't know. It's not them. Anyway, to his other side, he sees a man in a tribal looking mask and the masked man raises his big old ax. And George is like, and then we get the theme song. Yep. Yeah. So this is totally off topic, but there's this episode of Buffy where Joyce has Giles over in the home. Joyce is Buffy's mom. And she's like, oh yeah, look at this mask I just got for my new art collection. And then later, like the dead are rising from their graves and like attacking. And there's this scene where Giles is in the car. Like he figures out what's going on and he's like, kind of mocking her and as he's driving like don't you like my mask it raises the dead <sighs> americans and i just thought of that scene so um you're welcome buffy fans for some reason giles lives rent-free in my head all the time yeah i've never seen 
any episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I know that Giles is British. He's because... Anthony Stewart head. So, yeah, and he's because very good. Yeah. I do follow action figures, and so I know a lot about shows I don't watch just by action figures. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Stewart head is also in Merlin. He plays Uther, the oh. jerk king. And is that the one is... with, um, what's his name from Jurassic Park plays Merlin? No. Okay. Who plays Merlin? Um, what's his face? Oh my God. No. Colin Morgan. Okay. And then, um, Anthony Stewart Head is also in Repo the Genetic Opera, which is a musical about grave robbing and corporate greed and capitalism being awful. So it's also very okay. good. Sam Neill. That's who I'm trying to think of. Sam Neill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's a movie where he plays Merlin, I think. Huh. So, yeah. There probably that, is. That I think it's called Merlin or maybe it's called Wizard or Warlock. Oh, I think it's Warlock. Maybe. I don't know. Also, the Corinthian, because that episode is in my head because I just edited it. Corinthian is the dude in Sandman with the eyeballs that are teeth. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Sorry. I just edited the that Kalisari, episode, folks. So we're jumping back a few to the Kalisari. <laughs> we're on a tangent kick today. We got to bring this in. Yeah. So Oops. on topic, can we mention that George is like clearly in his like 40s and Paula is, well, like she's not in high school anymore, which is kind of gross. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't super sad. <laughs> yeah. We are going to get some information later that makes this maybe just like weird, but still it's kind of creepy just on the yeah. face of it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the not you're not in high school anymore made it seem like maybe he had been her. Like, I know it's not the case, but like maybe he had been a professor and she had graduated yeah. or something. Or like, like, <laughs> We don't need to keep hiding because we hid while you were in high school. So we were doing right. this while you were still in high school. Yeah, kind of, it's yeah. what it sounded like. That's which the is not what seems to yeah. be the case, but it still no. does not leave you with a happy, fun feeling. No. And so, I know age differences vary as you get older. Oh, well, but sure. if, if yeah. you're referring to someone still in high school and you're in your 40s, that's just flat out gross. I'm sorry. Mm, so. Yeah, it's a little mm, not, not okay. So then we're at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. And in the X-Files office, Mulder is looking at a file folder and he's telling Scully that the man's vanished. And Scully thinks they're being sent on this wild goose chase that's meant to waste their time. And Mulder corrects chicken chase. George Kearns, the missing man, was a poultry inspector at Chaco Chicken. And Scully says she's not questioning the legitimacy of the case, just that it's been assigned to them because it's not an X-File. And she's kind of surprised it doesn't bother Mulder to have his work undermined. And Mulder's like, well, they may think they're undermining my work, but joke's on them. Because the night Kearns disappeared, a woman saw a strange fire in an adjoining field. And Scully says the witness who filed that report also claimed to see some kind of foxfire spirit. And she's surprised the woman didn't call Oprah as soon as she got off the phone with the police. And Mulder says that folk tales from the Ozarks dating back to the 19th century describe people being taken away by fireballs. Supposedly, it's the spirits of massacred indigenous people. And Scully's like, those are legends. But Mulder notes that most legends don't leave behind 12-foot burn marks. And so then he shows her a photo of like this giant scorch mark in a field and it's like circular. And there's an officer holding a measuring tape over it to show how big it is. And it's from the field where the woman claimed to see the foxfire. And Scully's like, well, that could have been made by anything. And Mulder might agree, except in college, he saw a documentary that gave him nightmares. So he goes over to the VCR and presses play. 
And on the screen, we see an agitated man in a hospital gown and he's pacing around and he's going, they, uh, they, they took me away. The fire, fire demons wanted their pound of flesh and Mulder presses stop. And the man's name is Craig Jones. He pulled off the road on May 17th, 1961 to take a nap. He was found three days later, so deranged that he had to be committed. And state police found his car right off of I-10, right in the middle of Dudley, Arkansas, the home of Chaco Chicken. I had originally thought, because based on your notes, your notes originally didn't say that he saw it in college. I assumed he meant he saw that as a kid because what we saw is not actually scary at all. I know but, it's not scary. No, but they do mention fire demons, and we know Mulder is scared of fire when necessary. <laughs> so maybe that's, that's why he was so terrified. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, I did. I meant to finish, and I got distracted. He may actually be referring to an actual documentary from 1978. I was looking through the X Files official archives book by Paul Terry. And there is a little like newspaper clipping that refers to a documentary. And it sounds like that there actually might have been a documentary in 1978. I think the person's last name was Crichton that had an experience like this. And so I don't know if that footage is actually from that documentary or more than likely is like just an actor doing it. Like a reenactment. Yeah, it may yeah. be like related to an actual documentary from 1978. Huh. So Interesting. Yeah. Maybe the actual documentary is like scary. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So here, I, here's something I don't understand because this has come up several times. So are they supposed to be only assigned X-Files or is Mulder simply allowed to work on the X-Files because of his connections and because like everyone agrees he's like a top agent, right? Like he has like super agent skills or whatever. It's like, it's usually portrayed as the latter. Like they're allowed to work on the X-Files because Mulder is like a great agent. Everyone thinks like he's like wasting his talents on these X-Files. But then every time he and Scully are talking, like when it's like, this doesn't even seem to be an X-File, it seems like it's the former. And I'm not sure, like it seems strange for them to only assign X-Files to him when the whole point of Scully being his partner is, or at least was, to try to stop Mulder from working on them. I don't know like what the deal is. Yeah, and I, I don't, I, I think you're right in that the writers can't decide either, and that's why it's pretty unclear. I think the impression that I got just over decades of being a fan was that the X Files are a department where things get shuffled when they can't be solved, or there's something weird or mysterious. And Mulder seems to do a lot of work finding his own cases. Like he'll often pull. He has like alerts set up on certain types of files so that he Mm -hmm. gets like alerted or he'll find things that like this looks normal but i noticed or like field agents contact him if something weird shows up right yeah but i think that occasionally skinner does kind of assign them because if they have nothing to do or maybe they just need an extra pair of agents and since Mulder and scully are on the payroll they're like hey you got to do this missing persons case so but yeah, it is It is unclear. Yeah. Well, even that seems seem weird like because decided. like if they don't want him working on the X-Files, it seems like they'd be working on the X-Files like on their downtime. Yeah. Well, I mean, the like, X-Files... I don't know. Are, it's just weird. It's, it's a department. So clearly that's a, an official thing that they're officially doing. 
but it does seem like they get shunted other cases occasionally and possibly Mulder requests other cases. It just kind of depends. But yeah, it's not super clear how the assignments work and whether Skinner is screwing with Mulder when he sends him weird things. And maybe that's what Scully's referring to. Or... Yeah, I mean, they kind of address it with the whole like, well, they might think they're undermining me, but... Yeah. But then it still doesn't answer the question because... It's like... Well, in next episode, they talk a lot about Scully's role and you know what she's supposed oh, to be doing. Oh, okay. apparently. It, it does come up anyway. So as, as the season finale, but yeah, it's it's unclear like how much Mulder is supposed to be spending on the X Files and whether or not he's supposed to be working other cases at I mean, the same time or what he's. I don't know or... that forty eight episodes in, I'm jumping the gun by asking this question, but no, you're not. That... <laughs> and I mean, it's not. I don't, and I think you're right in terms of the writers just not having a clear, <laughs> having that nailed yeah. down entirely. So yeah, because it seems like the conversation of like this doesn't even seem to be like an X-File. Like sometimes Mulder says it, sometimes Scully says it. A lot of times Scully seems to say it, but it's just like, well, is that, it seems weird that that would be like his job when they don't want that to be his job. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> It's a good question. And I don't know if we'll get clarity on it or not. Also, I have to, not Foxfire, Mulder fire. <laughs> can't resist. So. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And Scully did seem to wake up on the wrong side of bed this morning because she's like kind of really she's, crabby about like the grumpy. fact that it's not an X file until she sees the documentary. Then she's all like, oh, and like all haunted looking. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't want to go to Arkansas. I'm not sure. Maybe that's her best <laughs> acting. But anyway, <laughs> maybe don't put that on the, uh, the promo reel for your next job. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I don't think she needs a promo reel anymore. I think she's doing just fine. <laughs> so then we're in Dudley, Arkansas, and Mulder and Scully are at the scorch mark. And Mulder finds a plastic fork that's kind of all like bent and melty. And Scully is kind of crouched down next to this thick branch with three smaller branches coming out of it. It's stuck into the ground. And she's like, what is this? And Mulder says it's a witch's peg and that pegging it to the ground is supposed to ward off evil spirits. Then a sheriff approaches and he's Sheriff Ahrens and he introduces himself and then Mulder introduces himself and Scully and flashes his FBI badge and he tells Ahrens that they're investigating the disappearance of George Kearns and Ahrens says he's happy to help but he isn't sure there's much to investigate. They didn't find any evidence of criminal activity or a body so they just filed a missing persons report. Mulder says he's surprised the witch's peg isn't in the report but Aaron says it's because the woods are filled with him. People in the area cling to their superstitions, and he claims the scorch mark is from illegal trash burning. Mulder tells him he thinks it's Foxfire, and Arns is like, Foxfire, nothing more than a ghost story about swamp gas. Also, the witch's peg is in the photograph. I didn't see it at first, and so I kind of went back and double-checked, but it is in the photograph. It's right, right next to the dude, which I think actually is Sheriff Arns, like, holding the measuring tape. And so it's kind of weird that like no one mentions it at all until they're actually on site. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so Arns tells them that whatever they're thinking, George Kearns was passing through town ever since he arrived. He never fit in, not the plant, not even at home. And it's no secret that Kearns cheated on his wife. Kearns probably just chased some sweet young thing out of town. And so Scully asks if that's what his wife thinks happened. And Arns says, probably. But if you really want to know, you can ask her yourself. Yep. 
So Sheriff Arns is played by Gary Grubbs. Which is a hell of a name. I know, it really is. (laughs) And he'll appear in one more episode of X-Files down the road. He he looks super familiar. He does, yeah. He's been in a lot of things. Um, He was Roger Burkle on four episodes of Angel. He was Gordon Bullitt on The O.C. And Richard Dossolet in Trim. And he's also appeared on Bones, Prison Break, Criminal Minds, and a bunch of other TV shows. So you've probably seen him in something. Yeah. And he still looks familiar to me, even though I have no idea about any. I mean, I know about those shows, but I've never watched any of those shows. So, But he's obviously been in lots of other stuff because I recognize him from something. Yeah. He's also got that kind of Gary Busey action with the teeth going on. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So at the Kearns residence, Scully and Mulder are speaking with Doris Kearns and Sheriff Arns is in the room. And Scully asks if she believes George left her. And Doris tells them that George left her a long time ago, right around the time she turned 40. Leaving town was just a formality. And Scully asks if she has any idea who he might be with now. And Doris doesn't, and she doesn't want to know. And Mulder's looking at this inspection report, and he notes that George was going to file it with the Department of Agriculture. And Doris is like, well, I don't know anything about that. And the report cites several major health violations. He was actually going to recommend that the Chaco chicken plant get shut down. And Scully asks if George ever received threatening phone calls or anything unusual in the mail. And Doris says there were actually hangups, but she always assumed it was one of George's girlfriends. So Mulder gives Doris his card and tells her that if George tries to contact her, she should call him. Yeah, the sheriff's car is red and white, so it's like a red car with white doors. And I've actually never seen that with like police kind of thing. I yeah. wonder if maybe it, like they're a part of the fire. De- like I've seen that with fire department. Like fire department, like the chief will have like his own car, and it will be red. But it's weird. I don't know if that's an Arkansas thing or what. It's just interesting. So yeah, it caught my eye that it was like a red sheriff's car. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Clearly, we'll have to take a podcast field trip to Arkansas. I don't know. We'll that we, I think Google could maybe <laughs> solve this problem if I'm really interested that much. So, yeah. <laughs> so Mulder, Scully, and Arons arrive at the Chaco chicken plant. And in a locker room, we see plant workers laughing, and they're, like, getting ready for their work, right? And they put on their white jumpsuits. And Paula is at her locker, and someone calls to her, urging, like, let's go. And she's kind of struggling and she's kind of like has a headache and maybe like she like grabs her head. And so something's going on and she grabs a bottle of pills from her locker and she swallows a few and then grabs a white jumpsuit. Very, very similar to what was going on with George in the car. Honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a little Mm -hmm. suspicious. Yeah. So Paula is played by Gabriel Miller and she's still having a thriving acting career. She's been on a lot of things. She will actually appear in one more episode of The X-Files as well. And she's had recurring roles on a lot of shows I've never heard of, or at least haven't watched, including Alienated, Corner Gas, and a show called Mother Up. But she's also appeared on Sliders, Stargate SG-1, NCIS, and she was on Once Upon a Time. Oh. Sliders is the only show of those that I've actually seen. And then Sliders, Stargate SG-1, and NCIS are the only ones i've actually heard of yeah and i've seen most of stargate sg1 and ncis i've seen random episodes i think i watched sliders too but it's been so long i couldn't tell you anything about the show so i don't know yeah no i I love sliders when it was originally out but anyway so so paula joins the line of chicken processors on the plant floor and a floor supervisor who walks around in a suit 
greets Mulder, Scully, and Aaron's as they enter. Aaron tells them the floor supervisor is Jess Harold, and he tells Harold that Mulder and Scully are FBI. And then Harold assumes that they're looking into George's disappearance. And Scully says there's a possibility his disappearance might be related to a report he is about to file with the Department of Agriculture. Meanwhile, from the line, Paula is looking over at them kind of worriedly, and she seems to be still having a little bit of trouble. Harold laughs and says that George has been trying to shut down the plant since he got there. Scully says the report cited many violations, and Harold's like, I know all about them. I had to make sure they were all taken care of. And then she asked if there were any merit to his claims. And Harold's like, I want to show you something. So he takes them on a tour. And then as they pass behind Paula, she is like all sweaty and like really twitchy. And then she starts having like a little bit of like some kind of attack. And her coworker next to her is like, Paula, are you okay? But she kind of nods and then watches the chicken go by on the line. And they're like on like these metal posts on a moving line. So like the chickens are like, you know, the post is like up the chicken's cavity. Mm-hmm. And so the chickens are all set there. And so as she's watching the chickens go by, one of the chickens is actually a head and it's George's head and he's dead because his head's chopped off. Right. And then mm-hmm. she, so she grabs it and she throws it on the ground and she runs away. And the coworker's like, what? And he looks down and there's just chicken on the floor. It's not a head, which is good because you wouldn't want a head to be like in a chicken processing plant. That would be gross. Mm, no, that so. is some cross contamination problems right there. Probably. So. Yeah. 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 So meanwhile, Harold takes Mulder and Scully and Arns into the quality inspection section where George worked. And there's a line of dead chickens on hooks being examined by employees. And Harold said they never had any trouble with the USDA until George started working for them. And Scully's like, so he really did threaten to shut down the plant. And Harold's like, oh, he tried. He got other inspectors out there. And then he shows them a roster like full of inspection reports and he says the only problem the plant ever had was George. Yeah. I mean, one violation might be that Harold is just like walking around in a suit where everyone else is like wearing like proper protective clothing. Cause they're like, they're like walking around like in raw food production areas. And he's just like, hey, look at all this stuff. And like, and none of them wearing... have hairnets or gloves no. or anything. Yeah. yeah. No, no protective clothing at all, just in their street clothes. So yeah, that's, that's, if that's it were too. me, my hair would be all over 90% of those chickens by the time I walked out because my hair yeah. just sheds. Like, so yeah, I would not be, yeah. not be healthy. Not that I'm going to tour a chicken plant. That does not sound like a pleasant afternoon. Yeah. Think about <laughs> free chicken. I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I mean, I want to go to the Tillamook Cheese Factory, but that's different. You are obsessed with the Tillamook Cheese Factory. I love Tillamook cheese and that's like my new goal, like dream destination besides like Disneyland. I'm like, I want to go to the Tillamook cheese factory. I'm going to get there one day. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so Mulder stares into the next room for a moment and Harold says George had a bone to pick with everyone. He filed a worker compensation suit claiming he was getting terrible headaches from his job. His lawyers called it line hypnosis. And Scully's actually heard of that. It's something like it's caused by high-speed repetitive activity. And she asked what happened with the lawsuit. And Harold says it was actually dismissed a few weeks before George disappeared. Which, honestly, if he was an inspector, how would he get line hypnosis? He wasn't working the line. I think he was working the inspection. Yeah, I don't know. You're right. Because they say he was working in the quality control room. Yeah. But then also he's like working. Maybe I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know. I have not seen an org chart for Chaco chicken, but you're right. That does sound <laughs> a little bit wrong. So Mulder points into the next room and he asks, what's that? And they go in and Harold tells them that's the feed grinder chops up bone and tissue, whatever parts of the animals they can't package, they grind up for chicken feed, which gross. And Mulder's like chickens feeding on chickens. He is also not thrilled with that idea. And Harold's like, well, I know it doesn't sound too appetizing or look it from the gross fat of bloody slop we get to see, but it's nutritious and it cuts down on costs. And they do mix it with grain, he says. Yeah, well, they cook it and they mix it with grain. That way, all that protein doesn't go to waste. And then this whistle blows and Harold excuses himself to handle the shift change. And Arn sees someone he recognizes, so he like walks away to chat. And by the way, this is why whenever I buy chicken, I'm always like checking for vegetarian fed and stuff because of this episode. And X-Files has made me incredibly paranoid. And I still, this episode has just haunted me for years. So, I mean, thank you. Thank you. X-Files. I mean, I get it. You were like 12 when this came out or 13, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty um, well, formative This would have been me. right before your birthday. So yeah. we're still 12. Yeah. yeah, it would have been turning 13 in like a couple weeks. Yeah. But it's not like this doesn't happen naturally. I mean, aside from the fact that, like, going through a grinder, like, we, I know we aren't know. the only it's omnivores. Just... There's, there's a lot of animals that we think of as vegetarians that they will happily eat meat if they can get it. Oh, yeah. So. No, I was just reading a Kathy Reich's book about Temperance Brennan, my favorite forensic anthropologist. And she does mention something about sea creatures eating human bodies like crap, like ones that we eat. And I was just like, I don't want to know that. I don't want to. Well, I don't know, it. not to gross you out, but I don't know if you've seen the video of um this cow just happily like jumping down on little chicks as they're walking by like they're snacks oh, poor on the babies. and just poor like babies. Chomp, chomp, chomp. oh poor babies no see it's one of the yeah. things where like i eat meat i'm not I, I was a vegetarian for god 12 years 10 12 years i was a vegetarian for a really long time and i do eat meat now for various reasons but like i have to not think about it too hard and if i think about it too hard i can't do it so i just it's one of those things i kind of try to compartmentalize and I, I blame x-files partly for that because it definitely gave me a bit of a a little mental scar here. i'll be honest i'd eat people so yeah see i mm, i would have been one of the people in the donor party going maybe we should find roots or eat bark or something there's got to be something else going on <laughs> and people curious so so Scully asks Mulder if he's ready to admit they've been sent on a fool's errand. She's still on that. This is not an X-Files bandwagon kind of action. She really and Mulder, is. Yeah. She's not, she's not having a good time. Maybe she needs a vacation. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't want to go to Arkansas and go to a chicken plant either. So, Like I said, if they give out free chicken, I'm all for it. <laughs> and as we'll find out later, do. she is a fan of chicken. So... <laughs> Mulder makes a quip about fools persisting in their folly and becoming wise. And Scully says whether George skipped town or was murdered, this case could have been handled by an agent out of Kansas City. And as they're leaving, someone screams and they turn around and they see that Paula has a bone knife to Harold's throat. Mulder draws his gun and is like, we're federal agents. And Paula like keeps the knife on Harold's throat and backs away and her eyes are like all like she's got like circles under her eyes and she's all bugged out and Scully tells her not to hurt him and asks what she wants and Scully inches closer and asks Paula to give her the knife she doesn't want anyone to get hurt and then we hear a shot fired and Paula's like oh and she falls 
face first into the vat of chicken stuff that we saw getting ground up. Not into the grinder itself, but into the stuff. No, that's already just being the ground. vat of stuff. Yeah, yeah. stuff that's already being ground. Just so you know. And then we find out it was Aaron's who fired the shot. And then Scully asks Harold if he's okay, and he nods, and he's holding his throat where the knife was at, so he did like get cut a little bit. And then we see Paula sink into the vat of chicken stuff, and we get a commercial. So I mean, I know that they just wanted that shot of her like sinking in there, but I'm thinking like realistically, you don't know if she's dead. Like I feel like someone would rush to grab her and pull her out before she drowns in chicken goo. Yeah, I don't. I mean, know. she did. I mean, she did get shot in the head. It looked like so. Yeah, but st- I don't. I would still. You just. I wouldn't. Anyway, I feel like they should pull her out. What's interesting but- is it's hard to tell if the blood that we see in the chicken goop is actually from her or if it's just stuff that was already in the chicken goop. I know, so gross. So, I couldn't look yeah. too close, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know if you look close, it's hard to tell because like there was gunk in there before. So mm-hmm. it's, it's yep. hard to tell if that's her blood or if that's just like chicken blood. Maybe I'll be so. a vegetarian again. Anyway. <laughs> So evidently they did actually pull Paula out at some point because now her body's on a stretcher and there is gunk on her face and we see them zip up the body bag and wheel her away. And a doctor is tending to Harold's wound and Scully asks if he has any idea what might have prompted her attack and Harold doesn't know. And she's like, no recent complaints, strange behavior. And Harold shakes his head. Paula has always been one of their best employees. So he can't even begin to imagine what came over her. And Mulder asks the doctor, Dr. Randolph, if he has any idea. And he doesn't answer. And Harold says he has work to do, so he gets up. And Randolph is like, well, come by tomorrow so I can make sure your wound's not getting infected. And Harold leaves. Once he's gone, Randolph tells him that last week, Paula came to see him complaining about headaches and being irritable and unable to sleep. And Scully asks if he was able to determine the cause. And Randolph's like... I'm a staff physician. I usually deal with things like hand injuries. And I was a little out of my depth on psychiatric matters. And Scully's like, so you didn't find anything physically wrong with her? And Randolph says he sent her to the county for an MRI and EKG. It all came back normal. So he figured it was just stress related. And Scully asked if it could be Lyme hypnosis. And Randolph's like, hey, I'm not qualified to make that diagnosis. And Mulder asks if George Kearns ever came to him with similar complaints. And Randolph admits that he did. He prescribed codeine to both of them. So Scully says that an autopsy on Paula will clarify things. And Randolph's like, well, I can't authorize that. You're going to have to speak to Mr. Chaco. He was Paula's grandfather and legal guardian. Mm. Yep. So one thing, like, I mean, legal. she seems like an adult, so I'm not sure why legal guardian, but maybe they're just trying to stress that he's her nearest relative or something. And then Dr. Randolph is played by Robin Mosley. He played the doctor in Young at Heart, and he'll play a doctor one more time on the X-Files in the episode Terma, as well as a doctor on an episode of The Lone Gunman. Right, he's a doctor dude. Yeah, and he's been on lots of shows like 21 Jump Street, MacGyver, Stargate SG-1, and he was on Psych. Sheriff Aaron's is like super chill, just hanging out in the background after having shot someone in the head. I have to say, like, yeah, I'm talking to the doctor, he just like got his leg up on, you know, on some <laughs> box. I'm like just chilling against the wall. Mm-hmm. 
might have killed someone. No problem. So, yeah. So then we're at the Chaco residence, and Mulder and Scully arrive, and it's a pretty fancy-looking place. It's what you would probably call plantation style. Mm-hmm. It's got like big pillars and all that kind of stuff. It's got a big circular driveway. And Mulder and Scully are led through the house and into the backyard by the maid. Um, again, emphasizing the plantation part because the maid is black. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Mr. Chaco is throwing feed into a pen full of chickens that we will get to later. And Chaco says that chickens are perfect creatures. We can eat their meat their eggs, and we can sleep on pillows stuffed with their feathers. Okay, I guess that makes them perfect. Anyway, so Scully says she knows this is a difficult time for him, and he says that he's aware they want to conduct an autopsy on his granddaughter, Paula, and ask if they think she had some kind of disease that made her act the way she did. And Scully is hoping the autopsy will help them determine that. And Chaco's like, I thought your business here was about Kearns, but then Mulder tells them they suspect it might be connected to what happened with Paula as well, and that Kearns and Paula might have suffered from the same neurological disorder. Chaco says that he built the Chaco plant and put his whole family to work there and made this town one of the biggest chicken processors in the nation. And he couldn't have done that with useless layabouts hanging around. Scully guesses that he's talking about Kearns. And Chaco says that men like Kearns don't build things. They just want to tear them down. And Scully asks if he knew about Kearns' recommendation to shut down the plant. Chaco responds that once you live long enough, you see the things that you built be taken away from you. And he tells him to go ahead and do the autopsy. He wants to know what happened to his granddaughter. Yeah. So, like, this dude has a giant yard and probably acreage. And he has this, like little chicken pen right outside his back porch in the middle of the yard and it is very tiny for all those chickens like i don't know why he doesn't have like a bigger chicken pen off to the side with more space it's very weird and i know it's just because the way they set it up but it just looks really off yeah it's like eight foot by eight foot maybe and there are definitely like at least two dozen chickens in there like there's no roosts nothing it's just a bunch of chickens and like an open air cage like there's no roof on it. And so obviously our creative team has absolutely no idea about raising chickens or animals in general. Yeah. Like it should be a yeah. pen and then maybe some kind of like, I forget what they're called, but like a hut thing where the chickens could go inside. Like yeah. it should be way bigger. So it's very odd. It's just, you watch them and you're like, you're a rich dude. Like you should. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, the maid is played by Carrie Kane Sparks. She will appear on two more episodes of the X-Files. She's also been on The Outer Limits and The Commish, and she has some writing credits on movies, including The Spy Who Boned Us, which I have not seen. And she also appears in the upcoming movie. It's uh, Coming to Hollywood, the number two, and she's a writer on that as well. Oh. So. so The Outer Limits and The Commish reappear. Yeah. Again, because I just, like, the Kalashari just came out. So remember both our young Kevin, Michael, Charlie, and then the dad were also in outer limits yeah so hmm, like the new supernatural yeah yeah so then we are at seth county morgue so apparently dudley arkansas is in seth county and scully is looking through a microscope and paula's body is on the slab nearby and Mulder comes in and scully tells him that she thinks she's got something 
Paula suffered from Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, a rare degenerative disorder that's characterized by sponge-like holes in the brain. And Mulder asks why it wasn't on her charts, and Scully tells him that outside of an autopsy, it's a very difficult disease to diagnose. He asks if that might explain what she did, and Scully says yes, that people with the disease can suffer from aggressive dementia and seizures. The disease itself would have killed her in a matter of months, apparently. And then Mulder shows Scully Paula's personnel file, and it shows that she was born in 1948, which would make her 47 years old. And he's Ooh. like, that's not, mm-mm. And Scully's <laughs> like, that's got to be a mistake. And Mulder says, I'm going to go check her birth certificate, which should be on file at the county courthouse. And then Mulder says, who knows? Maybe this is even more interesting than Foxfire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure how they got the brain tissue to put in the microscope when she's laying on the slab. And there's clearly like no postmortem surgery on her. Like her head is told. There's not even a bullet hole in her head. So I'm not sure how they got brain tissue from her. They obviously didn't open her brain up. Magic. So. No, I mean, they should have put like those lines that show, you know, like some kind of marks yeah. that would have shown Or just her not show her. And then we assume that they took the top <laughs> of her head off and took out her brain. So <laughs> I think they want to show her so you can see how wild the idea that she's 47 is. But I guess. Yeah, yeah you're right. I didn't even notice that. Get a little hint is... of boob under the blanket when they pan around <laughs> on the scene. So, yeah. <laughs> So Mulder and Scully drive down the road and Scully tells Mulder that the odds that Kearns and Paula had the same disease are practically non-existent. Kreutzfeld Jakob is rare and not communicable. The odds that two unrelated people in the same small town would both have it. And Mulder cuts her off and he says, a lot more likely than Paula being three years short of her 50th birthday. And then Scully sees a truck heading towards them and it's swerving erratically. And so she shouts to Mulder to look out. And he pulls the car off the road and into a ditch to avoid collision. <gasps> and we will get into whether CJD, which is Kreutzfeldt Jakob disease, CJD is the easier way to say it, is communicable um, shortly. Much much quicker than I thought we were going into it, actually. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the truck, which is transporting chickens in little carrier pens, flies off the road and into the river. And they run to the truck and Mulder tells Scully to call an ambulance and he tries to pull the driver out. And we see like red goo and feathers swirl in the water around the truck, which is Mm. gross. And then, so then we cut to later and they're trying to pull the truck out with a tow line. So people from the sheriff's office have pulled all the chicken crates off it. And Scully tells Mulder that she just spoke with Dr. Randolph. He says the truck driver has the same symptoms as Paula and Kearns. And Mulder's like... You just told me that two cases of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob would be statistically impossible. And Scully tells him she's come up with a new theory. What if someone put Kern's body into the chicken feed grinder? The disease could have been passed on to the chickens who ate him, and then anyone who ate those chickens could be at risk. Scully mentions how sometimes in England they have to incinerate cattle to prevent the spread of mad cow disease. And Mulder says that Chaco chickens are shipped all over the country. If she's right, there would be more than a few local cases. Yeah, so we're going to get into communicable versus transmissible a little bit, which is almost like potato versus potato. I think it was kind of obvious that this was going to happen, but they had to create mystery. So mm-hmm. why she didn't like think of that immediately, I'm not sure. But yeah, it actually is really super, like when you 
later at the end of the episode, we're going to talk more about this. Okay. It is actually super confusing about everything, but we'll get into okay. it then. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get really, there when we get there. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you guys made this way more difficult than it needs to be. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Mulder calls to Sheriff Aaron's and ask what's wrong with the river because there's like gross stuff in the water not it's not like the bloody stuff came from the truck it was already in the water yeah so aaron says that it's waste runoff from the plant and Mulder asks if they searched the river when kerns disappeared and aaron's just like well that would be like a needle in a haystack and Mulder tells them that he'd like to have the river dredged as soon as possible and aaron's asked him why and Mulder's like, well, let's see what's in the river. And Aaron's is like, that's a filthy job. And I don't particularly want to do it unless I know what I'm looking for. And Mulder's like, well, hopefully nothing. But if you won't do it, I can get people down here that will do it anyway. And Aaron's is like, no, I'll do it. It's fine. And he leaves. Mm-hmm. And then Mulder tells Scully that if Kearns was murdered for his inspection report, his body has to be somewhere. Because she's kind of like, why are you having them dredge the river? And so that was I mean, unless it was in the chicken grinder. Just yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe. not a bad plan. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, maybe she's sticking to the chicken grinder theory and Mulder's like, no, not the chicken grinder theory. He's in the river. So on the river, we see two people in a sheriff's boat pull up a net and then the net, there is a bunch of bones. A and bunch then Aaron's bones. a whole bunch. Yes. And Aaron's is walking Mulder and Scully through some trees towards the river. And he says that once they close the waterway, the water levels dropped. So I guess there must be like some kind of dam action or something on this river. And they came up with it almost immediately. And Mulder asked if they found Kearns and Aaron says, well, you should see for yourself. And he takes them to the dock. And as they get there, they pull up this net full of bones. They drop on the dock. And there's a lot, 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 lot of bones in this net. And Mulder and Scully Mm -hmm. just kind of like, "Mm," look at each other. And then we go to commercial. Because a bunch of people died. Yeah, so, I'm not a forensic anthropologist, but that looks like the bones of more than one person. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. So after the commercial, the camera pans over like bones laid out on tarps. So they've obviously been organized into separate skeletons and like sorted. Like this one goes with this one. This one goes with this one. And Scully is examining a bone. Mulder comes in and tells her they're still pulling bones from the river. And Scully says she's been able to isolate nine distinct skeletons so far. She tells him the skeleton right in front of her belonged to George Kearns. Mulder asks how she knows, and she shows him a pin in the femur. According to Kearns' medical file, he broke his right leg four years ago. Mulder asks about the others. And Scully says she'll need more sophisticated equipment to be certain, but she estimated that some of the bones might be 20, 30 years old, meaning they've been in the river for 20, 30 years. So these people have been dead for 20, 30 years. And she says they all share one strange detail. And Mulder's like, no heads. And Scully's like, besides that, all of them show signs of decay and surface abrasions as one would expect, but all of them, even Kearns, are buffed at the ends. Very weird. Yeah, so you're not a like forensic anthropologist. I'm not a doctor, but I am pretty sure that is not a pin in the femur of Kearns's leg. I've had pins in my bones. That is like a six inch slab of metal bolted to the side of a femur. Like that would be excruciating. It would be sticking out. It would destroy your muscles every time you tried to move your leg. Like, mm. 
there's no way that is like an actual like medical unless he like goes to visit Dr. Frankenstein to get his medical stuff fixed. <laughs> That's crazy. Anyway, Maybe he does. I think it's just a visual thing, right? Usually, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I was going to ignore, but I guess in fact I'm not going to ignore because I'm going to say it right now that Scully was able to isolate nine skeletons in the course of like a couple hours armed with only a, like a magnifying glass. That seems a little. I mean, obviously she's been reading temperance Brennan books and like me is now full fledged forensic anthropologist. Like like, honestly, the only thing she should know (laughs) is like this femur belonged to him because he had a giant chunk of metal adhered to the side (laughs) of his leg. Like, I think they just they need to have like a victim count of some kind and to say like I don't know it's yeah you're right but it's funny yeah (laughs) I mean I guess like some of them are more discolored so you could kind of be like okay well these ones are brown so maybe the brown ones go together and the ones that are more white go together but still the fact that she like just the the sheer number of bones is one thing maybe she took some kind of forensic class and can be like this one was about this age and female maybe she can like but yeah i mean she's a doctor this isn't her area of expertise they should have a local no forensic anthropologist in there doing this really but yeah yeah anyway they gotta give scully something to do so and then we see doris who if you remember is kearns's wife right Mm -hmm. and she is running through the hallway of what we're guessing is the sheriff's office or maybe the medical facility where they have all these bones i don't know where everyone is at in this case but she asks if it's true. And Aaron tells her they brought up quite a few remains at the river. And yes, George's were among them. And she starts crying. And then Aaron reaches out to her and says, it's going to be all right. And she pushes him and runs away. And he calls after her and says that we'll take care of you. So she seems really, really upset and not necessarily with grief. Especially considering mm. she was pretty resigned to the fact that like her philandering husband like just ran off. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that comes up later. I think it kind of explains why. Yeah. But yeah. This is foreshadowing. But, yeah. But yeah, you, you see the scene. She's like, why is she so upset? She's really upset. So, yeah. So at the Chaco plant, Harold asks one of the workers if she's got the new schedule. And he takes the clipboard to sign off on it. And we see Dr. Randolph is in the doorway and kind of gets his attention. So Harold follows him out back to where some of the chickens are kept. And Randolph is like, they found bones in the river. And Harold heard. So Randolph asks if he also heard that Clayton Wash came down with the symptoms. That's four. It's getting worse every day that goes by. Harold says someone needs to tell Mr. Chaco. And Randolph says Chaco knows what's happening. He's just not doing anything about it. And Harold's like, I'll talk to him. Chaco will listen to me. So yeah. uh, suspicious. Yeah. This also, I, this goes back to like Chaco and his little chicken pen in his backyard. This is like one of the largest chicken processors in the nation. And in the hallway, they just have like a pen with some chickens in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're just trying to set dress. But like, if you stop to think about it for 10 seconds, you're like, this makes zero sense. Yeah, some random chickens in a pan in the hallway. No problem. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, they got to put them somewhere. <laughs> I guess. We paid for these these chickens. We're renting these chickens by the hour. Put them in every scene possible, okay? <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So in the office where Mulder and Scully are working, Mulder pulls something out of a fax machine, and Scully walks in with a chicken, with a Chaco 
Oh, you actually, it's not a Chaco chicken bucket. We'll find out. And Scully walks in with a bucket of chicken. And Mulder tells her that he and Danny ran a check. So we get Danny again. Woo! And in the last 50 years, 87 people have disappeared near Dudley. Based on the recovered bodies, Mulder thinks the same person or persons is probably responsible. Scully says it might be the work of a cult. And Mulder says he thinks the good people of Dudley have been eating more than just chicken. The bones being polished on both ends suggest they were boiled in a pot. It resembles the victims of the cannibalistic Anasazi tribe in New Mexico. Scully says if that's true, Paula may have contracted CJD by eating George Kearns. Gross. Yeah, Although I gross. earlier said that I'd be fine with eating people. So not gross, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> Mulder says it might also explain Paula's appearance. Some cannibalistic rituals are said to prolong life. And Scully is like, um, that's not real. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's not how that works at all. Yeah. And she points out that they never confirmed Paula's date of birth. And Mulder says the courthouse records should confirm that. So he, when he left to go get the courthouse records, apparently he didn't go get the courthouse records. Well, because they got sidetracked by the truck in the river and then they started. Oh, the well, so he, but so he they... left. But he left her at the autopsy place. He left by himself. Oh, yeah. I don't know what driving. he was doing. Yeah, so I don't know where he went. He was going and having some chicken, maybe. I don't know. And anyway, he says that the courthouse record should confirm that. And if anyone else in Dudley is lying about their age. Crazy. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, when she walked in with a bucket of chicken, I swore it was a Chaco chicken bucket. But either way, like. No, it's from Bud's Chicken Hut. Chaco chicken is just a processor, apparently. Right, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But I was like, I hope that's for testing, not eating, because I wouldn't be eating chicken in that town after. I think it was for out. eating, honestly. It probably, but it doesn't make sense because in the three scenes ago, she was telling Mulder how people who were eating the local chicken might be getting sick. No, she said that she may have eaten kerns. No, she mentions that. Maybe they put Kern's body into the chicken grinder, and that's how the disease could be spread as people are eating Oh, the you're right. Like yeah, so I don't know. Maybe she just likes chicken. She's like, oh, whatever, dude. I mean, that would prevent Or me maybe from... the writers are like me, and we're like, oh, I don't remember that. So, <laughs> But either way, I wouldn't be eating chicken in that town, even if I was going to eat chicken again. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I mean, it's it would be weird, but maybe Bud's Chicken Hut doesn't get chicken from Chaco Chicken. Maybe. They get from maybe. I, but maybe. also, if it's properly cooked... The prions become neutralized. It's not an issue. Okay. That's the whole thing. Like the that. mad cow stuff is like you had to make sure you cook the meat properly, but most uh, people tend not to. So it was easier just to like, you know. Just I mean, not, yeah. You know. I spent a lot of the 80s being afraid of like the Bermuda Triangle and mad cow disease. So I don't know anything about it. I just know that it scared me a lot as a kid. Yeah. Also, I cannot believe you skipped over Mulder mentioning vampirism in this scene. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to cut down on the length of the summary. So I'm trying to really like summarize dialogue and try and not say, you know, but get vampires. Into he mentions vampires. And I, know, I know. Because he talks about with like eating flesh, right? Vampirism. Right. He talks about vampirism and the Catholic Church, whether like, you know, physical or spiritual the idea of eating flesh has always led to like, you know, immortality kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yes, he does. 
Yeah, so I, I apologize. Was, I was just like, oh my God, she totally skipped <laughs> talking a chance to talk about vampires. I cannot believe this. I know. I know. Sometimes I'm just full of surprises. Yeah, you are. So at the Chaco residence, Harold says people are getting scared. He's talking to Chaco. And Chaco says it sounds like they're losing their faith. Harold says mm-hmm. it's harder to hold on to the way things are going. Three more have gotten sick since yesterday. And Chaco's like, I lost my granddaughter. I know what we're up against. I'm handling it. And then the doorbell rings. And the maid opens the door. And it's Doris Kearns. And she tells Chaco that she can't keep lying. And Chaco says Harold told him what happened. And she has nothing to worry about. But Doris says they're going to think she killed George. And Chaco says they won't. But she says she did do it. She helped. And Chaco says, George had no values and didn't fit in here. And Doris is like, he was my husband. And Chaco reminds her that that was the price she had to pay. And she knew it from the beginning. And Doris is still worried about the FBI, thinking she's a murderer and coming after her. And Chaco tells her that the town wasn't built in a day. And it's not going to fall apart in a day either. And he promises her that she's one of them and they'll take care of her. And he's like, go home and get some rest before the funeral tomorrow. And then she apologizes and she leaves. And Chaco tells Harold she'll be fine. And Harold's like, she's not stable. And Chaco insists that she's part of our town. And Harold says that unless they do something about Doris, there won't be any town left. And Chaco's like, if we start turning on ourselves, we're no better than the animals. It's the FBI we should be worried about. Hmm. So... I'm going to jump to the fact that Sheriff Aaron obviously knows what's going on because he was like, we'll take care of you, which is exactly what Chaco is saying. So Sheriff mm. Aaron must know what's going on. You're connecting also, the dots. Yeah. Also, the maid must know, too, because she's like right there in the whole scene. And oh, to yeah. The thing. So she's which is nice to know that like like like, like racist cannibal freaks. So that's good. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. But yeah. You know. Also, going back to Scully's chicken bucket. I hope she already ate some of that chicken because that bucket was only like two thirds full. And I'm hoping she's not buying buckets of chicken that aren't totally full. That's messed up. Yeah, that is kind of a bad deal. Yeah. Anyway, so then we're at Seth County Courthouse and Mulder and Scully break into the Hall of Records because it's nighttime. And so like Mulder like Jimmy's the door and they go in. So Tori says it's probably a smart plan well to do it at but, night not in the middle of the day oh to break smart. in right i'm well, <laughs> you know if Mulder would have just gone during the day and asked for the records he wanted maybe they wouldn't have to break in but anyway well but then the town would know the town would know they're looking at the records and oh secret. i know but why wouldn't you you're doing an investigation about someone who died with <laughs> one of their birth records anyway so but they go inside and they find the room is totally burned out and there's a scorched pile of stuff near the door and the file cabinets are all black there's burned papers everywhere. And Scully's like, it smells like a recent fire. Like your eyes didn't tell you it was a fire. So <laughs> come on. So. Mulder... <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know why that's so funny. It just really hit me as hilarious. <laughs> yes, I think this fire was probably. Re- I mean, maybe it had been burned out. Does it like, matter that it was recent? So no I don't know. Town but... Records has done anything to clean it up. Yeah. Well, maybe because, like, since they arrived, someone burned the records, so I don't know. It's like, oh, look, everything's burned. It smells (laughs) like there's a fire. Well, you know. And Mulder doesn't think it's a coincidence, given the discovery of the bodies. And then while they're talking, there's a silhouette that neither of them sees, but we see. 
and it appears in the glass window of a door and kind of like is peeking in the room. And then Mulder's phone rings Uh-oh. and it's Doris Kearns. And she's in her house and needs to speak with them right away. She's shaking. And Mulder asks if she's all right. And she tells him that she's afraid for her life. She's afraid that Chaco is going to kill her. Mulder tells her to stay inside and lock her door and to not answer the door until Scully arrives. Mulder hangs up and Scully asks where he's going. And he says, I'm going to take Chaco into custody. So I guess she already resigned herself to go get Doris. I don't know. So we go back to Doris's house and Doris runs to lock her front door. Why it's not already locked? I don't know, Doris, but if you're already scared, you should already have it locked. But anyway, and then while she's locking it, the lights go out and she's like, ah! and then she sees the dude in that mask that we saw way back in the teaser. And he's got a big ax in his hand. And she's like, no, and screams. And then it's commercial. Yep. It kind of mirrors her husband. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing I was talking about in the Kalashari, how they just don't learn not to split up. (laughs) This is it. This is it. Wow, the Kalashari is really coming up a lot in this episode. It is. Despite the fact that it was like three episodes ago. (laughs) It just came out yesterday. I just listened to it. (laughs) It is fresh on the mind. But this was what I was talking about was this episode. So Scully arrives at the Kearns residence and all the windows are dark. And Scully rings the bell and shines her flashlight through the front door. There's like a window in the front door and she calls for Miss Kearns. And then she goes around the side of the house and she finds an open door. So she calls inside and then she enters and she's got her flashlight and her gun out. And then the door she came through slams shut. Could just be the wind. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I also, I wonder what's going on. There's So there's one window at the front of the house that's covered in plastic sheeting and it's like flapping in the wind. And I'm like, mm. and at first I was like, Oh, maybe it's like tornado stuff. Right. Cause you don't like the, I mean, usually you do that on the inside. So the glass doesn't like fly into the room, but the other window is not covered in plastic sheeting. So maybe like just the house they were using for the scene was like having some work done or something. I don't know. But like yeah. the one window has got plastic sheeting on it. And I was just like, why? But anyway, <laughs> So meanwhile, at Chaco's residence, Mulder rings the bell and the maid answers and Mulder flashes his badge and asks if Mr. Chaco is in. And the maid says she'll see if he's awake and she goes upstairs. And so meanwhile, Mulder is like looking around inside and he sees photo of Chaco, both as an Air Force pilot in a plane and then in a uniform with members of a tribe in some jungle like setting. And then on a shelf below the photos, there's a skull surrounded by feathers and there's a label that says Jolly Tribe, New Guinea, 1944. And Mulder, in the reflection from the display, sees this ornate cabinet behind him. So when the maid comes back, she's like, Mr. Chaco is unavailable to see you. And he's like, do you know what's in that cabinet? And she doesn't. And he's like, can you open it? And she's like, I don't have a key. So then Mulder looks at it and he gets this little heavy statue from the side table and he smacks the lock on it. And she's like, what are you doing? Anyway, he busts it open. <laughs> and then inside are all these heads with their eyes and their lips shown shut. And one of them is George Kearns' head. Yeah. It's yeah. a collection of heads, which doesn't... I mean, if you're going to keep them, I feel like you should at least refrigerate them. I mean, maybe it is refrigerated. We don't know. 
That's true. That's true. We yeah. Don't. But seriously, Mulder, that would be completely inadmissible evidence in a court of law. Like, I get it, but come on, dude. Don't just like <laughs> grab shit and like bust open cabinets and look through stuff. That's not how law enforcement works or investigation. Yeah, FBI's or... finest. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So Scully is still looking around Doris's home when her phone rings. And Mulder tells her that Chaco isn't home. And Scully says Doris isn't home either. But she thinks something is up. Her car is still there and the power's been cut. And a door was open. And we see Chaco is actually in Doris's home and he's holding a blunt object. And Mulder says Chaco must have taken her. And then we hear a noise and Scully's phone cuts out on Mulder's end. And we see Scully's phone is laying on the rug and Scully's lying next to it with her head bleeding. <sighs> Oh no, not again. I know, again. And this, yeah, I'm telling you, going out there alone doesn't work. No. Also, what kind of amateur attacks a person when they're on the phone? That's like total giveaway. You don't do that when they're on the phone. We just hang up the phone. And then you're going to say, but Nick, your beloved Dwayne Barry did that to Scully <laughs> as well. And I'd be like, no, he was being controlled by implants and he would know better because when he was in the hospital and he escaped, he did wait until the cop was off the phone or he smacked them with a fire extinguisher. True. But also Scully saw him mm-hmm. when he jumped into her house and attacked her while she was on the phone. So even if he was not being controlled, he had to act right in there, right? Because she saw him. So right. Chaco was not even seen. So I stand I by mean, my statement. Honestly, it's and this is a thing that came up in Irresistible. It's going to come up over and over in the show, I feel like. But like attacking FBI agents who are known to be there investigating things just doesn't seem like a smart way to go if you don't want to get caught. Like it feels like you're really bringing the fire to your own house in that situation. Like that's just me. You know what? If you're going to do it, do it and just kill them right then and there. And then they they disappeared, right? Yeah. That's how you do it. You don't yeah, keep them anyway. alive for a long time so they can escape later and tell everybody what's going on. <laughs> you just kill them. So. I guess we're lucky these villains are not super confident. Yeah. You guys need to watch out if I ever snap. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so. so in a field... There's a bunch of townspeople standing in line and Dr. Randolph is ladling things into their plates and there's a huge bonfire behind them. So they're having like a party in the field and having like stew yeah. and it's awesome. And there are actually three pots around the fire. So Dr. Randolph is not the only person serving food. And then we hear this voice saying like, what have you done here? And we see that it's Chaco and he warned them not to touch Doris Kearns. She was one of them. And he's got Scully with him and her hands are tied up and she's got duct tape over her mouth and he's got a gun. And Chaco asks, who was behind this? And Harold steps forward. And Chaco asks why he didn't listen to him. It's the outsiders they need to deal with, not their own. And Harold says, they'll deal with them all. And Chaco shouts to the town people to look at themselves. They've turned their faith into an abomination. And Harold says, Chaco is the one who brought in the outsider who made them all sick. And Chaco's like, how long before any of us, any of you? And Harold says, that's not your problem anymore. 
And then the person in the mask with the axe comes through the crowd and Chaco raises his gun and the townspeople grab Chaco and Chaco tells Harold, he's like, kill me and you'll kill all of us. But then they drag Chaco to this like makeshift like stockade sort of thing that's in the ground and they strap his head into it. And Scully is being held by some other townspeople and she's like, mm, what's going on? <laughs> and the axe welding dude cuts off Chaco's head. <gasps> and then we see Mulder's car is like speeding down the road and he sees this bonfire. And then Chaco's body is carried away and we assume his head is based on later information. And they bring Scully over and they strap her into the metal head holder. And then she sees the bloody axe from her perspective because she's like, you know, down on her knees in this head holder. And then Mulder car pulls up to the field and he runs out and the masked person raises the axe and then we hear pow, pow. And the masked dude goes, oh, and he falls down because Mulder shot him. And then the townspeople scatter and everyone's running in panic. And Harold has got his gun out. And he's got it trained on Mulder. He's like tracking Mulder as Mulder walks through the crowd. But then the townspeople are like, Bruh! and they like smack into him and knock him down and basically trample him. <laughs> yeah. And so Mulder gets Scully free and she pulls the tape from her mouth and then asks if she's all right. And he sweeps the hair from her forehead and she nods. And then he pulls the mask off the axe murderer, Scooby-Doo style. And it's Sheriff Aaron's. <gasps> But he's dead because Mulder shot him twice. Foiled by those meddling kids from the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one where I was just like, Scully's kidnapped by the villain again. Take a drink. Because, you know, yeah. Yeah. That little makeshift stockade they have is not really practical for beheading people. So when they put Chaco into it, the clamp that they put down, it totally covers his neck. And then his hands aren't even like restrained. Right. Which is completely backwards of how you do that, right? You restrain the hands, you pull them down so that their head is pressed against the thing. But when they put Scully in it, they put the clamp around the top of her head, which does expose her neck, but her head is clearly not restrained. She could have like slid right out of that if she wanted to. But then also her neck is over the metal base, which would totally mess up your axe if you're chopping heads off. So yeah, I don't know it did on. remind me of the scene in Beyond the Sea, though, where that kid is like captured by the serial killer and the serial killer is about to like chop his head off when the FBI busts in. Yeah, but he did it correctly. Yeah, I'm not saying that these people, I'm saying that they're not confident like the serial killer was, but it did kind of evoke that Yeah. memory in my mind. Yeah. Also, Mulder conveniently saved by like panicking crowds is a little much, but Although I do think it's it's kind of symbolic, like it's good symbolically because it is very like the townspeople like can't really be trusted to keep each other's best interests like as soon as the chips are down they just panic and they trample somebody because they just don't care which i thought was yeah. good yeah but, yeah yeah and also i'm wondering why like chaco had a gun i don't know why he didn't just shoot harold because like his gun is pointed point blanket harold the whole time they're talking and even after they like he realizes like harold is like i'm taking over you're dead old man like he totally could have shot him, but he never did. Like, I don't know why he even had the gun. He never uses it. Anyway. Yeah, I had no idea. I guess because it's just, it would have ruined what they wanted to happen. So I, I would have shot him, but anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you have better survival instincts, yeah. apparently. But yeah, Harold is told like that middle manager deciding he's needed he needs like a promotion and it's like a uh-huh. so yeah. 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 
So then the shot of the bonfire transitions to a shot of the Chaco chicken sign, which reads, good people, good food, which mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of a gross tagline now, knowing what we know. Yeah. And uh, we did see that earlier, too. When we first we saw did, but now it, it holds more meaning. And the state police cars pull up and officers run in and tell workers to step away from their stations. And they put like danger tape across the area. So clearly they're being investigated. Scully's voiceover tells us that pending further review, the Chaco processing plant has been closed by the USDA, though so far, no evidence of contaminated chicken has been discovered. Though it's unknown how many citizens participated in the rituals, 27 have become fatally ill with creutzfeldt jakob disease. What is known is that a transport plane carrying Walter Chaco was shot down over New Guinea in 1944. Chaco was the only survivor, and according to naval records, Chaco spent six months with the Jale, a tribe whose cannibalistic practices have long been suspected but not confirmed. Records also show that Chaco was born in 1902, making him 93 years old at the time of his death. His remains have yet to be found. And as she says this, we see a worker feeding the chicken, and as he's like, pulling the feed out of the bucket he finds some gray hair in there and he pulls it out and kind of like discards it and then continues feeding the chickens mm. Ooh. yucky so yay <laughs> so apparently Spotnitz was inspired to write this episode in part by the Spencer Tracy movie Bad Day at Black Rock about a town hiding a terrible secret he also read an article about salamanders eating other salamanders and getting sick. And Spotnitz's brother, a neurologist, suggested doing something related to creutzfeldt jakob disease. He had also been doing research on the Anasazi tribe for the next episode and came across information about how that tribe possibly participated in cannibalism. And so the name Chaco Chicken actually comes from Chaco Canyon, where the Anasazi tribe resided before they fled and vanished so this might be or my confusion about the next episode on asazi and one of the comic book arcs that deals with kuru which is a transmissible form of crucifield jacob disease occurs although technically it's not actually considered a form of cjd or a variant Crutzfeld Jacob disease, which is VCJD, which is officially a transmissible form of CJD, mm. but it's considered completely separate. Again, like I mentioned, they, they make this really more complicated than it seems necessary. Kuru basically is isolated to the Foray tribes. I'm not sure how you say that. I didn't look it up before because I'm trash. Uh, Papua New Guinea. So we get the New Guinea aspect here that we have in the episode. But given how it's actually developed in the tribe, it could just be an absence of evidence that it's localized to them. Because, I'm sorry, despite whatever Spotnit says, Kuru is obviously the origin of this story. It's just too many things line up for what happened. And then, I don't know if you've ever seen Bad Day at Black Rock. I have not. But considering its plot and this plot, I will say that Spotnitz or possibly Brian Lowry, because I think he is like the sole source of the information for this, okay. that Bad Day at Black Rock is gets a disservice by being cited here. They could have like said the lottery or any other like similar story and do a similar disservice. Also, 
we don't tag this podcast as explicit, so I'm going to bleep this part, but f*** Brian Lowry for calling Bad Day at Black Rock secret more mundane than this episode's because I guess like racism-based murder isn't a big deal to him. So screw you, Brian Lowry. Anyway, all that said, Kuru will officially appear in another episode in season seven. It's actually actual called it Kuru. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that. And I know after this episode, I definitely look stuff like this up and was definitely haunted by some of these things. Yeah. Interestingly, in 1997, a number of people in Kentucky developed VCJD. It was discovered that all of them consumed squirrel brains. I think I heard about that. Although there actually was no direct causal relationship between the disease and the dietary practice. So they couldn't actually narrow it down. Bovine spongiform encephalopathy. I think that's how you say that. I'm not yeah, good at words. Yeah, I think that's correct. BSC, which is what we normally call mad cow disease, is the primary cause of VCJD in humans, which is, again, is distinct from both CJD and Kuru, even though literature on both like repeatedly cross-reference each other. Again, they make it more complicated than necessary. I don't know why they just can't just say, like, this is a variant but instead, they're like, they use the word variant, but then they're like, but it's not really a variant. It's totally something completely different, even though it's not. I don't understand why they have to like silo everything. But it's like, if you look this up, it's really confusing. They like really like, mm-hmm. these are related, but they're not related. And it's just confusing. But yeah. Yeah, I uh, I can't talk about variants without thinking about Loki. So. <laughs> I oh. love on another well, my thought was like if we think about like covid like right now you know there's right the yes variant. oh yeah the Delta I know. Variant is super big and like when you read this you're like it would be almost like if you said the delta variant of covid is not covid like they're completely different and they're not right. completely different no they're, they're not. related they're the same thing yeah. and then they'll say they're related but then they'll say they're completely different and it's really confusing they make it way more i get yeah. having variants and maybe wanting to give each variant a different name but like the way they do it is just super like, I don't know if there's like research money involved that they have to like silo everything or what, but it's super confusing when you do the research. on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about it. There's a reason I don't have a medical degree. Well, several, mostly math, but that is another reason. <laughs> yeah. So Bowman was worried about filming the scene at the end, especially with like the head harness and stuff and the guy in the mask. Cause he was afraid if he didn't shoot it right, it was going to look silly instead of creepy yeah you can form your own opinion on whether you thought he succeeded yeah the mask looks like it was like my first anthropology project from like a first grader honestly and the axe looks like it was made out of sheet metal i assume they pay their prop people so they should probably try just a little bit harder just a little bit a little bit sometimes they seem to do really good and sometimes they don't so i don't know what's going on so aside from the unexplained life extending properties of eating human flesh Although it's an mm, X-File. Yeah. So they didn't (laughs) consume the heads though. No, I know. And that's where the disease disease would be. Yeah. They totally forget about the scorch mark. I don't think they did because that is the bonfire we see. I would say that's the word. I guess we're, and that also goes to the fork thing that we saw. Mulder finds the fork because they're eating there. Yeah. Although if it was from a bonfire, there would be evidence of it being a bonfire because like wood has weight and I doubt they brought in like vacuums like suck up all the ash and whatever but yeah I don't know what kind of like cleanup Sheriff Arns is doing but yeah, I, don't I don't know so overall in case you haven't guessed 
already, listeners. I didn't really like this episode. I couldn't tell. I couldn't. Yeah. Actually, I can honestly, I can't really tell with you because you'll be like, this is terrible. I hate all of it. It's a nine. <laughs> Like, what? I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever gone you that far. You a little hyperbole, but um, it's, it's, I might be being a little molder, a little hyperbolic. Yeah. But um, um, despite the tell. fact that, yeah, but despite the like everything in the kitchen sink plot that Red Museum had, where like remember Red Museum just like threw everything into a single episode, mm-hmm. but somehow it actually kind of worked. It was actually not a bad episode. It was pretty good. Similar with Diane Verlitz also. They did a way better job. They basically like are doing the two sides of the story. Like mm-hmm. the Red Museum has got like the you know the food processing plant that something crazy is going on, and De Verlitz is like it's a secret group in the society. Kind of you know this little small town is doing spooky things. It's like you put those two stories together and you get this, and yet like the sum is definitely less than the parts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I agree. So I like this episode. And I, again, I I agree. And then you're like, I like this episode. Well, I do like it in terms of like, it is classic X-Files. Like when I think of X-Files, one of the things that has always haunted me about the X-Files is the chicken. I mean, sadly, you're not totally wrong. (laughs) I'm not, but I mean, it's one of those episodes that I think if you watched X-Files when it first aired, especially if you were a kid, this might be one of the episodes that sticks out to you. It definitely stuck out to me and it definitely has had lasting effects on my life. Probably more than anyone who was involved in this show ever expected it to. And I do, I like the story. I think it's, it's creepy and it's, again, it's a white dude appropriating some culture to like, extend his life or use his magic or whatever it's a lot like fresh bones in that way and then he gets what's coming to him and i like the idea of a town that's like doing this horrible thing that obviously is going to turn on each other in a second i also like the lottery i think it's a great story (laughs) um so i enjoyed the episode just watching it i do agree with you that when you really start to think about it like pieces do kind of start falling apart a little bit you're like wait but they didn't well, eat the brains. Sure you have to really start thinking about it. But I mean, not super hard, but like, you know, it's one of those things where you watch it, you're like, oh, that's creepy. And then you, you step back and five minutes later, you're like, wait, but they didn't eat the heads. Like, you know, that's something that didn't really occur to me, but like, it's an excellent point. But I mean, I enjoyed it, like watching it. I was like, oh, it's creepy. It's weird. It's, it's X-Files. <laughs> so I think it's probably a five. I think it's probably okay. a pretty just i mean it's not great it's pretty middle of the road i think it's better than some of the some of their weird episodes but again there's some nostalgia factor there for me where i just remember this episode being kind of horrifying and was horrified again so yay it still worked on me (laughs) you caught me off guard by jumping right into your rating Um, oh sorry i I, I knew we were well i knew we were going there but you kind of just seemed like a natural transition to like throw a rating in there yeah so i will i will say that I have noticed that I mean we we've, we've talked about it several times I'm 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 older than you I'm like a little more than a decade older than you and I have noticed that people who are really really into the X-Files seem to be people who watched it as a kid mm-hmm. as opposed to like as a young adult or as an adult and I wonder if that is because you don't, you know, as a kid, your brain is not, you know, you're not doing all that kind of, not that kids are dumb, but like 
you don't think about all that kind of stuff. And so I wonder if that's where X-Files succeeded, where maybe nowadays it wouldn't necessarily succeed because people would be a little bit more critical. I mean, so I think it just kind of depends on how you consume media. And there are people who watch the X-Files today for the first time and get really into it and are on Tumblr talking about the show and, you know, talking about things they love, things they, and they don't love everything about it without any thought, but like you see people who get into it now and are still just loving it. So I think it just depends on like one, what kind of stuff you like, and then also just how you consume media. Some people consume it and are like, I like this, but here's all the problems and here's a list of why this didn't work. And here's what I think they did wrong. And some people are like, I love it there are some issues, but I don't care. You know, it's like, <laughs> so I think there are just different ways to consume media and they're not mutually exclusive either. I think you can probably do both depending on the mood you're in or, you know, what your what a show brings to you versus maybe a show you like better than a show you don't like. So I don't know if it's just, but I do think you're not wrong in that a lot of people who love the X-Files did watch it when it, I mean, a lot of the fandom is people who, have been fans of it for like 30 years. So that's not untrue. It's just, there are people who come in fresh today and still love it. So it's not totally just people who are nostalgic, but I do think that plays a huge factor, at least for me. I'm not sure. I don't know if I watched it today. I mean, I can't know because I can't know if I watched it today for the first time, how I would feel about it. Like, yeah, I don't have a strong memory about how I felt about a lot of these episodes, but I do have like strong feelings about the x-files in general so i don't know <laughs> ew i i i, I mean I, I if people haven't guessed this already i when we came into this what i'm seeing is not what i expected to see right um my recollection does not match the reality of me watching episodes so it's just interesting i mean again yeah. we know like i watched the first season basically and then the rest was just like pop culture and my recollections of like Eve and Fallen Angel and the pilot and then I'm watching this and I'm like this got big yeah it did okay. this, <laughs> this got big hmm, okay alright so yeah so yeah that's cool I don't mind being the villain I'm yeah I don't cool. think you're the villain <laughs> So, I mean, it's just, okay. you know, different people like different things. And again, like, I embrace different people have different approaches to media. And, you know, villains are, I love villains. I'm a big fan of villains. My favorite characters are villains usually. So, <laughs> I mean, I do love the cigarette smoking man a whole lot. Just going to say. Yeah. So I am probably going with a, I'm not looking at previous episodes on this one. I did not pull up the spreadsheet. I'm just going to go off the cuff. And I'm going to say, I'm going to give this one a two. Okay. Um, I have realized that I think for our season wrap up, season two terminus, I may be doing some reevaluations of the season because even though this is our second season and I should have a better idea of where things are going, this season really catching me off guard. And I'm actually having a lot more trouble with this season than I had with the first season. Huh. as far as rating goes so i may be doing some recalibrations on my so there may be some substantial changes when we get to those in the wrap-up but we mm. will we'll find out but i'm going with a two on this one okay cool so you had a five i had a two 
Yeah. Normally I have the spreadsheet up and I like put the numbers in when we talk and I, for some reason, don't today. because I just did it. So you're good. Yeah. I was actually thinking of giving this a six, but I did drop it down a little Whoa. because I started thinking about it too hard. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I mean, it's not my favorite episode. And in terms of rewatch quality, it's not one I really want to rewatch just because it's kind of gross and I don't really want to like. Well, as I got to think more about it, I didn't. So I didn't really get all the connections when I watched it, but then afterwards and putting my notes in and I, I tend, I tend to do a combination of like, I watch and then something will grab me and I'll stop and I'll put notes into this Google docs that we have. And then I'll go back to the episode. And then I also, at the end of the episode, then I like go through and like, we'll revise stuff and I'll add more notes and build on some and change some, mm-hmm. and delete some, you know, cause maybe some, I, I mentioned something's like, Oh, that was answered later. I can delete that. That's stupid afterwards i was like this like they they did this already like whether you want to call it red museum whether you want to call it the hand of Rilla, it's like they this episode exists already i don't know why spotting it's just kind of pulling a howard gordon on this one which this is technically only his second episode although we discussed whether he should have got credit for colony and endgame versus just endgame but <laughs> yeah maybe he needs to stick with just the myth arc stuff which is kind of ironic because Red Museum is a Myth Arc episode, which is probably the episode that is most like this one. Mm-hmm. And he becomes like the Myth Arc dude. He so does, maybe, yeah. maybe he needs to stick with that. But because this one's not great. And it's kind of a rehash <laughs> of previous stuff. That's so. funny. I didn't even, like, it just didn't even occur to me that it was that similar to Red Museum. And now but that I'm is. thinking about it, I'm like, it, it is, is, right? It is. It is. Yeah, no, I just yeah. didn't even. No, Clicked it's like brain, it's, it's, but... it's like if you mashed up Dan Deverlitz and Red Museum together. You yeah, it does this. have similar. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Again, I'm coming from super like we just talked about. Like, there's a lot of nostalgia in here. So, like, I think sometimes I don't even, you know, it doesn't even occur to me that like, oh yeah, that is really like. Although you know, sometimes I do notice like, oh man, there's some trends they've got going. <laughs> yeah, another thing that I had thought of this was actually in your notes you had made a mistake at one point and you said when Mulder sees the photos you had put Kearns instead of Chaco oh that was probably a typo that, that was, was a typo probably... because because it is Chaco yeah. but when I saw when I originally saw that because I like I say I watch and then I go in and type and sometimes I see things before I've actually seen the actual episode right because I just you see ahead and I was like oh that because if that was like, we would have to do a little bit of reworking and maybe this is like something I should say for the, I want to rewrite episode, but if it had been Kearns who had crashed, that would explain some stuff because even though it wouldn't explain like how old he is. Right. Cause that would have been, you would have been much older, but if he had caught like Kuru from them and then brought it back to these people, Oh, I see what you're saying. Because apparently Kearns is like patient zero. Right, because they keep talking. Well, the other thing I thought of, which I hadn't thought of until we were talking about the episode today, is that they say to Chaco, you brought in an outsider who made us all sick. Mm -hmm. And that seems like he had done something different. But like people have been disappearing in this town for years like up to 87 people and all of those were outsiders because they weren't killing their own that was the point right that we can't start turning on each other 
and killing and eating our own. So they've been eating outsiders. And it just happened to be this one outsider happened to make them sick, but it's not like killing and eating outsiders was abnormal for them. So it was kind of in retrospect, a weird line because it maybe just, I took it the wrong way, but it just is a little odd thing to say when you're like, that's what we've been doing this whole time, dude, is killing outsiders and eating them. I can't know that all of them don't have diseases. So yeah. Also, (laughs) we don't know the timeline between Kearns's murder and when Mulder and Scully get involved, but it can't be that far away. No, it's only been at like I think they say it at one point that he has only been missing for a couple weeks or something. Yeah, so that is some really quick onset of the disease. Yeah, it is. Because in in the literature I was reading, like they talked about like how crew developed supposedly like they had like banned and outlawed the you know, cannibalism kind of action kind of thing going on. It took like possibly like 20 to 50 years for the disease actually developed in the uh-huh. population from the time. But like at that, but like they had banned the, the procedure, even though they, they find out like maybe it, it technically hadn't been banned, right? There were still like some people doing it. But like the big outbreak that happened in the foray tribe occurred like much later after they had banned the consumption of the dead. And so they're like, you know, it's like somewhere between like 20 to 50 years that it takes to develop and in other populations where like this non-transmissible disease has turned into a transmissible disease. It has been similar that it takes quite a long time to possibly develop. Mm -hmm. And so like this just seems super fast, too. Yeah. Although it is. I mean, again, it's TV. So, (laughs) right. (laughs) They're not. It's not real. But like, yeah, it is. It is a very quick. It's not realistic. in that way yeah Um, but if you want your head to hurt seriously delve into the topic of Freudsfeld Jakob yeah and (laughs) Kuru and bovine spongifida it's just like like you're you're gonna be like these are all the same disease and you get that they're variants but then when you read all the literature you're like like you're saying they're variants but then you're saying they're not it's really freaking it'll just break your brain anyway so (laughs) Yeah. I probably will not do that, but it does not yeah. sound pleasant. Well, I wasn't referring to you. I was referring I know, to I know, I know. But yeah. Totally. Make it so personal, Gloria. Well, oh, fine, I won't. Everything's not about you. <laughs> that, that's news to me. Darn it. <laughs> well. All right. Well, that was our town. And now we have one episode left of season two. And then we're done with season two. Oh, with season I'm like, we're done. Really? Wow. No. Hey, we wrap this show up fast. All right. Oh, we got a ways to go. Although hopefully season three will be more more up Nick's alley. I don't remember a ton about season three except little bits and pieces. And like, so I have no idea, but we'll see. We shall see. That's part of the fun, right? Yay. Will Nick like it? Probably not, but we might be surprised. You never we might know. be surprised. You <laughs> never know. So I might complain about it and then give it a nine. You never know. That, I don't think that's happened, but <laughs> that was a little hyperbolic. I'm just, sometimes it seems like you really don't like it. And then you're like, oh, it was great. It was an eight. And I'm like, what? You're on your toes. Yeah, you know, you always guessing. Always guessing. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. We're done. All right. Awesome. 
I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag Religious to Bedroom Closet. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like The X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch Season 2 of The X-Files, Episode 25, the season finale. Yep. Anasazi. And try to figure out if if the the truth truth is is still still out there. there. Suffered from Kreutzfeld Jacob disease. Kreutzfeld Jakob. Kreutzfeld Jakob. So I totally said that completely wrong in every possible way. I tried way. to put the pronunciation next to it. It's you Kreutzfeld did, and I didn't Jakob. read it at all. I just went with what I thought. <laughs> so Kreutzfeld Jakob. Okay. Paula suffered from Kreutzfeld. <laughs> it's going to be one of those things that neither of us can say anymore. We're just going to stumble over it every time.